Hey everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Building It Up with Bertelsmann, India's first podcast that focuses on the growth stories of Indian startups. I'm your host, Ankur Variku, and with me today is the founder of a product that I passionately love and I'm so glad to have him on the episode today, Nitin Kamath. Nitin is the founder and CEO of Zeroda, India's largest stock trading platform and it's phenomenal what they have achieved in such a short period of time and they've done it with no institutional capital raised. So today's journey and conversation is centered around how do you build such a large product in what is I would call a commoditized space with virtually no money ever raised. It's a fascinating journey and I'm supremely eager to hear Nitin's story. Thank you so much, Nitin, for joining us. No, it's a pleasure. pleasure to have you on Building It Up with Bertelsmann. Right. I want to go back to the fact that trading has, uh, you, you've almost grown up on trading. You know, when I was reading about you, you've been an active trader, you're doing it with your own money, the you right. of the HNIs. So it almost feels like something like zero that would have been a natural progression, but I don't want to assume. Right. What got you into trading in the first place? I mean, trading is, was about quick money, right? <laughs> like a lot of people, I think, get attracted to stock markets for you know the lure of easy money. Yeah. But I can tell you, doing this for twenty-five years, I think it's the toughest place to make easy money. You know, totally. it just it just seems easy, right? I think it seems easy because it's very easy to get started. You know, unlike you know real businesses, which which take a lot of doing before you can actually start. Correct. You could open a trading demand account and start your trading business almost instantly today, yeah. right? So, so yeah, I, I got hooked onto it because a bunch of older friends of mine, mm. uh, you know, and they were trading and then they introduced me to it. And it, it was always 400, 500 rupees and, you know, it was like, it was really small when I started. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, I've spent, like, what, 13 years before Zero, the actively wow. trading markets. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, so when Zeroda happened, you know, it was it, it just seemed like a right time to be a broker that me and you know, a bunch of us who used to trade together, you know, yeah. we didn't have as uh, traders ourselves. You know? right. So so yeah, so this wasn't something thought over a coffee shop. You know, this was <laughs> <laughs> this was like thirteen years in the running. Right. Right? <laughs> and and was it was it the was it the frustration of the current tools that you yeah. experienced that made you think of an alternative, or was it just about I've been doing this so I can do yeah. it better than someone else? Actually, there were there are two or three reasons. Uh, firstly, you know, after day trading is almost like playing a T20 game every day, right? It's it's really volatile, and you know, you can you know you you hit the shelf life of sorts, and I could feel a little bit of burnout, uh, so I wanted to take a break from trading for a couple of years, like one two years, and do something related to the industry. Uh, and then uh, second thing was. Uh, as a trader, you know, we were paying a lot of brokerage, right? Yeah. You know, India was one of the last few countries where we were still charging a percentage fees as brokerage. Uh, you know, in an online world, the cost of execution doesn't go with the size of trade, yeah. right? So then why should the broker make more, right? I mean, it was like just a logical. And it was not like something that we thought about at first. It was very common in the U.S. Right? Sure. The flat fee per trade, like this whole discount broking started in the U.S. Sure. back in the 90s. Yeah. So... Yeah, and then the third thing was uh, we had made a little bit of money in 2008 when the markets fell. Uh, so, you know, to become a broker in India, you had to put deposits at the exchanges. Yes. Right. So, um, yeah, so, you know, all, all of those facilitators, you know, kind of enabled this whole idea of Zeroda, you know, back in 2010. And, uh, you know, when you're a broker, there are uh, two important things, right? One is your technology, right? You need a trading platform and you need operations, right? Yeah. And people to help you build the business. Uh, and technology is the, actually the toughest piece. Yeah. 
And back in 2009, the National Stock Exchange in India launched a platform called NSE Now, uh, which they gave free of cost to brokers. So when we started, you know, it was more like a technology arbitrage of sorts. So where, you know, I had spotted that, you know, by being a member on the exchange, you get a platform for free. Mm. So then we were like, you know, if you get platform for free, can you disrupt pricing by taking your operations online? Interesting. Right? So so this whole product play of ours was 2014 onwards. Mm. The first three, four years of a business was all built around the NSE Now trading platform, which was a vendor platform. Yeah. So and with no no one on our technology team you know uh, so yeah so that's that's essentially how the business started wow that is that that's fascinating thing and it's um, usually the the advice is do not enter into low margin super competitive right. cohorts okay. and, and that's exactly what you <laughs> went like, it was right. crazy right. uh, and you were up against really established players, right? The right. people who were trading platforms back then were either well institutionalized or well funded or had been in the business for a really long time. Right. Nonetheless, that they were not necessarily the best experience. So you knew very well what you were getting into and were up against. And, and yet you chose that. Was it more like irrational optimism <laughs> or did you really know that this is going to pan out because right. consumers were constantly saying, we don't have a choice and we wish we had? No, see, th and just to add on to all of this, right, 2010 was the worst year for broking industry ever. Okay. Okay, that's when we started. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, uh, you know, like, I think there is a very thin line between passion and foolishness, right? If it works out, People call you passionate. If it doesn't, they call you foolish. foolish. Yeah, I mean, I think us starting a brokerage firm in 2010 with no pedigree background, with nothing at all, was was quite foolish, you know. But then, uh, but I think the edge was, you know, we got lucky. To be very honest, um, the the luckiness was that that in 2010 we started. Uh, most brokers were diversifying. Their focus was moving away from yeah. retail broking to doing other things, uh, and we were kind of entering, mm. and. The first two, three years of the business, uh, no one really acknowledged this pricing model, right? So we actually got a three-year head start uh, before the first competitor, who again was a small startup like us, who came in and said, okay, you know, this pricing maybe, you know, this kind of a model works, sure. be digital, be online, you know, you know, be low cost, flat fee, et cetera. The, the big guys only last year, <laughs> right, reduced the prices, right? So we have actually got on a seven, eight year head start, wow. right, uh, in, you know, as in, being able to build a moat around uh, products and et cetera. And uh, so, you know, a lot of people give credit to pricing today, but pricing is what was our edge when we started. And when we started the business, we were not building for investors. We were building it for active day traders and active futures and options traders, mm. right? But as we grew that business, we realized that that market is a really shallow market. Like, you know, if you were to ask me in 2009, there was no way to do market research as well, right? As in. So I had assumed that there are quite a few FNO traders, right? But today, in reality, there are probably 300, 400,000 futures and options traders in the country, right? So you can't build a business just for 300, 400,000 users, right? So, and also in futures and options, you know, the, the problem is in uh, the mortality rates are high. You know, yeah. people, you know, as soon as they lose some money, they become inactive and all of that, you know? So. Uh, so as we kind of spend some time building business for active traders, we realize that um, you know that's not a big enough market, mm -hmm. right? And uh, well, you're you're India's largest broking firm today, and right. I was like that is unprecedented. Like, is this right. disrupting someone like an ICICI Direct, and of course right. doing it bootstrapped, doing it clinically so well? Um, that's 
that's right. unreal. It's just yeah. absolutely there. And you've done it without raising money. Okay. You've you've done it bootstrapped. You're profitable, <coughs> and you also don't believe in advertising. Right. So almost all of your growth has come right. by virtue of you doing a great job with it. Right. Um, was again this a conscious call? Like let, let's focus on funding because it's right. just fashionable right. to raise money. <laughs> <laughs> you started a business right. and like it's my birthright right. now right. to raise money, but you stayed away from it. Right. Was it because you were cornered into that, right. or because people were like, you know, what are you doing? Right. And we don't right. fund it, or was it like, no, we don't? No, no I think money. I think the first two years, one two years was by force. You know, yeah. it wasn't really an option. Right. Because I don't think you know anyone understood broking industry. Yeah. I don't think even today people understand broking industry. Because VCs haven't invested into Indian broking yeah. firms exactly. yet. You know, I mean, only recently, last one year maybe, right? So, and also I think as I said, you know, it was a really horrible time for the industry itself. So you know, uh, and we were building a you know a platform on top of a vendor product. Now there yeah. was no tech as well. So I don't think you know we were investable. If I was a VC, I wouldn't have invested in a company sure. like that. You know, right. so, uh, but I think. But by that, you know, by the time we realized it's a real business, uh, we had actually started making some money as a business. From the third year onwards is when you know VCs said, you know, boss, you can take some money. But but then you know we were making money, and I didn't really see a point of raising money. Great, right? Because uh, see, the thing is, this whole trading and investing, right? Uh, you can you know you don't get up one day morning and say I want to trade and invest. Right? I mean, you you will probably get up one day and say I want to buy a phone. You go discover and you purchase something. But uh, trading and investing is is a very, you know, you get influenced to do it mm. through a peer, yeah. most likely, right? Yeah. As in every person who has traded, invested, you ask that person, how did he start? He'll say a friend introduced me to it, sure. right? And and this is not something that you're going to discover online, and because what regulators do is that they don't allow you to sell greed, yes. right? So any advertisement can only say my pro- platform is great and my product is great. No one can say come invest, make thirty percent. <laughs> if someone could advertise saying Come invest, make thirty percent in the market. That would get I mean, of course, that would yeah. greed is you know, <laughs> you know would work for sure, right? But funding, as I said, because we never advertised, uh, you know, funding was never required, and and we we grew slowly. I mean, the thing is, by what I realized is by not having professional investors, we were never pushed to you know grow fast, and so we we, we grew at our speed. You know, we did what I, we thought is the right thing for the trader, what is the right thing for our customer. And we have never built a product keeping revenue in mind or how many new clients we'll get in mind. You know, we, everything that we built is, you know, will our clients enjoy it. It's going to help them in some form. And uh, and so, yeah, so it's, it's been slow organic growth. So that way, you know, we never spent, it's forget about fundraise from outside. We have not, never taken a single loan, you know, from a bank, <laughs> wow. right? So it's... Uh, uh, so yeah, so I think it, you know it helps you to sleep well in the night, you know, and and it keeps you very nimble on your feet as well. True, as a business, right? I love that. You know? I love that. <laughs> the 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 other interesting piece uh, in a, in a conversation before we started this podcast was uh, you're also catering to this massive first time traders community, right. uh, which I would imagine would comprise a lot of your client base. And they need hand holding because right. for them this is not natural finance as it is scares right. people, and right. then it's stocks, and we have this notion of stocks being all dupey and uh, take money <laughs> out, right. and right. you always end up losing money. We, we equate stock trading to gambling for right. some reason, right. and uh, I'd imagine that that would have been a strong attention focus for you when you were growing up. Right. Walk us through that. Like, how did you? Right. Think about that. It clearly cannot be 100% online. Right. So how did you navigate through the offline-online combination? I mean, see, the, the the biggest tipping point for the industry, for for the business, was actually Demon. You know, yeah. right? 
because for us onboarding a customer was a 40 page document and you know, i don't know how many signatures and all of that right and even though aadhar was in, in use before demon but the, actually people started using aadhar only after demonetization sure. right and so different use cases of aadhar started opening up and uh, this whole e signature using aadhar e kyc using aadhar etc right so after demon was the first time we could actually onboard a customer online digitally nice. right and so that was like a really big uh, you know uh, change i mean i think the first five years of the business we had opened 70000 accounts the month the january after demon 2018 jan we opened 80000 accounts in a month <laughs> you know so it was uh, it was like a huge relief you know for the business yeah but uh, but what we realized you know the first two you know i think the first one two years of the business was business started off thinking that we were going to remain online mm-hmm. digital but it kind of hit on us quite soon that in the business of money people want to know if there are as humans behind it correct so one of those hacks we did which worked very well was we set up sales centers in all the cities actually offline sales centers Off- wow. as in i mean so we have today in in the top 20 cities mm-hmm. uh we have our sales team set out of you know small office share setups wow. and you know so we have a location on our map contactors we have a local mobile landline number to reach out to and uh and then we you know in the smaller cities we we do it through our partners hmm. and and every time we go to a city we do a press conference saying oh we are in the city and you know let people know you know it was it was just building credibility so So even though we started the business thinking that you know we can be completely digital it kind of uh, very quickly hit on us that when it comes to money people want to speak to someone right like people in our office you know I was just looking at it the other day you know so they were all trying to buy insurance they they're spending time everywhere on all the insurance comparison website mm-hmm. but before buying a policy they wanted to speak to someone <laughs> right just to just to like you know I mean they already decided just want a confirmation that was your real you know yeah. as in so i think it's about savings investing is is a lot about that right and uh, i think i think a big problem in india is i mean probably around the world actually is no one's educated on finance uh, you know in school colleges right and so by the time you get your first paycheck you're ending up either following your parents habits or your peers right and and you can safely assume that it's it's probably a wrong habit right right and you know buying gold jewelry or you know buying real estate real without estate, and yeah. all of that right as in uh, without really having enough and right. you know without you know proper financial planning and etc right so so yeah so we uh, we realized that we had to put people uh, to kind of even though uh, the the entire user experience is quite minimalistic but it's, it can still be intimidating for a first timer Right. So these decisions that we took has has helped us quite a bit. You know? The other piece, Nathan, about your business is that it's uh, it's regulated to a to some extent, you know, like because at the end of it, it's people's money, and there is some controller of that interest. So there will be bound days where things don't go as per plan, and right. there are enough of them every now and then. How does a business tend to recover? And I and I want to. F- focus on the credibility issue that you right. spoke about which is fascinating and i love your thesis on it but how do you how do you get out of that credibility damage right. Right. of sorts from the start of the business mm-hmm. right, uh, everything that we have done has been on the right side of the regulation okay. right uh, so we've always done what regulators expect sort of broking industry mm-hmm. and right. today if you were to go speak to regulators they would probably have great words for us cuz 
we are kind of forcing the incumbents to be transparent be technology first right. don't do advisory because the biggest complaints that regulators get today in india is unauthorized trading yeah. right which is essentially advisors inducing customers to trade and etc right so so we are kind of we've always been doing what is right for the industry right for the customers so uh, so that way you know there's never been an issue from the regulators the issue though is is from on the technology side right, right. as in uh, you know we've had scaling issues uh, because uh, post 2016 uh you know we've gone from 50000 say to 1.6 million customers from say 200 300000 trades to 3 4 million trades a day right and uh, in our business we rely on multiple you know uh, you know in you know multiple businesses to run our business you know so yeah. for example uh in india all exchange all orders have to go to the exchanges mm-hmm. that means you have to connect to the exchange via lease lines yeah. right and and these are in bombay and you know so if someone is there's someone digging for metro your lease line can potentially get affected i mean of course there are backups to backups sure. right but then the issue with uh, you know with the backup to backup is if something goes down primary goes down it takes time for the secondary to come up okay. right and also the issue in this business is that when an order is fired through one line and if say this goes down and we move him to the other we have to reconcile the status of this order okay. already placed Which right so yeah. i mean you can do it with 10 15 100 but if you have a million open orders right reconciling takes time right so uh even though everything today is built in house mm. <clears throat> there's a core piece of technology which uh, we use thomson reuters now refnetives technology which is which is called as a order management system risk management system which is uh that engine maintains the status of orders at the exchanges mm. and also manages the risk of orders being gone through you know i mean this is a very you know uh, it, it is it's a really what do you call it? it's a it's a five year uh technology building problem you know in mm. the sense this isn't this is almost like building an engine for a car you know right. like how porsche uses audi engine right so you know why doesn't porsche build their own engines right as in so it's like that right so uh so yeah so we use them so we kind of end up relying on their technologies and yeah. their scale right so these are all like you know these are all things that can potentially affect us yeah one question that i want to focus on is uh, you you're profitable you've taken your time to grow and it's been a conscious choice and you've done remarkably well on that does it worry you that someone with irrational funding right. can come and destroy it particularly because it's a discount broking platform right. Right. and then price becomes a commodity while to your right. credit you've built moats around right. this right. Right. so the question is Does that give you the confidence that you will be able to uphold your territory, yeah. or is it that something that money can buy? No, I, th- I think. See, the thing is, like I said, this is a very complex, pro- pro- complex product to build. I don't think there's something. You know, it's. So, if we had raised money, could we have built something faster? Actually, the answer is no. No. Right. So, I don't think the product cycles would have been faster. If we had raised money, had a lot more people, we would have probably been slower and not faster. <laughs> right. So. Uh, so if someone's trying to compete in terms of product build, and you know, I don't think it's going to happen fast, just because there's deep po- deeper pockets, right. right? But what could a competitor do with deep pockets? I mean, it could potentially advertise, do cashbacks, open accounts, and etc. I mean, so we might take a hit in new account openings, right? Yeah. But then that's never really be a, been a great metric, right? As in uh, to because new account openings now, which are inactive, is of no use anyways, right? So. Now, people who have intent to invest or trade, they you know, and once they understand how investing and trading works, and they're or they're speaking to friends and family who are trading and investing, they will slowly, you know, dive, you know, come towards the best product. 
True. Right. And and we are already at zero. It's not like you know on the investing side. You know, it's not like we are you know we are an incumbent who is charging a lot of brokerage. Okay. Right. Uh, for active traders, we charge twenty bucks a trade. Right. As in, uh, can that reduce? Potentially, that could be in pressure. Right. Because if if you know if someone comes and says, you know, uh, I want to compete here. But thing is about active trader is it's like if you are a supercar racer, mm. right? And your your living is by racing cars. Mm. You care for what's the quality of your car. Right? You wouldn't compromise on your car because <laughs> yeah. you know that this is what is that you used to race, right? So so the active traders side they care for the platform on which they trade yeah. and all the features, all the tools, how fast and all of that. So yeah, so a, a competitor can come today. Take three, four years, five years, you know, go through a cycle of learning, build a product, and then maybe you know the deeper pockets will work. But right. hopefully by then we would have evolved <laughs> our products. Of course, you know, so. makes sense. Makes sense. What keeps you up at night as a as a founder CEO of right. such an accomplished <laughs> company now? Well, I mean, I think like I'm always thinking about how to grow the ecosystem. Yeah, you know, right? because. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's just crazy how shallow the markets in yeah. India are, you know. So, uh, I mean, last year we had four to five million Indians who invested once a year, right? And I mean, I, I understand most Indians don't have money, but you know, I mean, even those you know four five crore I income tax filing Indians, you know, should probably be investing, yeah. right? I mean, some portion of it, because I I think you know as a country we rely too much on foreign capital, and and I think like one of those things for me to do in life, I think, has been that how do we get Indians to back Indian entrepreneurs, right? Nice. As in, uh, because I think for, for a country like ours to become like a global superpower, I think that has to happen, right? yeah, As in, true. you know, people should stop putting money in gold real estate, you know, put money behind some entrepreneurs, and then it's just cycle, more jobs are going to get created, it's going to help the country and all of that. So, so we want to be catalyst in some form to, you know, enable all of that, you know. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Awesome. So on that note, thank you so much cheers, for cheers. being a part of this. This is lovely. Thanks. All the best with everything. I'm sure there's a wonderful future ahead of Zeroda. And with you at the helm of it and your passion, I'm sure it's going to happen. Cheers. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. <laughs> and with that, we come to the end of yet another episode of Building It Up with Bertelsmann, India's first growth-focused podcast. I'm your host, Ankur Variku. And until the next episode, do not forget to subscribe on iTunes, Savan, SoundCloud, and also check out our video on YouTube and Facebook. Until next episode, I'll see you all.